0: deals with the question that we've got to answer, the question that separates everyone around us, those that know God and those that don't know God. Here's the question, what must a person do
1: to be saved? Welcome to the Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multigenerational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
0: Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts the 15th chapter. Do me a favor, grab a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, something that you can write with. Find a piece of paper the back of your hand or your phone or tablet, something you can write on, and let's ask God to speak to us in practical ways today. Let me begin with a question, and perhaps I should have said, every head bowed, every eye closed, but I won't. Let me just ask the question. How many of you have ever had a disagreement? Raise your hand. Okay, how about this? Because that's rather disappointing for a bunch of church-going people gathered together. How many of you have ever experienced conflict? Raise your hand. Oh, there we go again. Let me try once more. For those of you that are or have ever been married, how many of you have ever had marital conflict? Let me see your hand. What in the world are we gonna do Well, we're all gathered in this building. We call this a church. We are the church gathered. How many of you have ever experienced church conflict? Let me see your hand. Oh my goodness. Conflict is a reality of life, isn't it? And there's different ways to approach conflict. You can avoid conflict, but that is cowardly. It's there. You don't run from it. You don't pretend it's not there. And frankly that doesn't help. Some of you are like that. When things go wrong, you just want to pretend it doesn't exist. And that doesn't solve anything. To avoid conflict is cowardly, but to enjoy conflict, now that's crazy. And some of you like it. You're just sick. You need help. If you like conflict... Man, that's nutty. I I sometimes feel like when there's a conflict, it's like going up to the parking lot and just scooping up a bowl of gravel and trying to eat it. I mean, that is not something I want to do, but it's a part of life. And so what do we do to resolve and redeem conflict? Now that, that's Christian. That's the way as Christ followers were intended to live. And in Acts 15, we find a biblical pattern for resolving and redeeming conflict. That's why I'm very excited. This is a teaching message. It will be very direct, straight out of the pages of Scripture, and very practical. But before we get to that, let me remind you how we got to here. In the previous chapters in the book of Acts, we have experienced what was the first missionary journey, that's what it's called in Christian history, the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Paul and Barnabas set out from their home church of Antioch of Syria, this place that is in the news every day today. They set out from their home church and they've, they've embarked upon going to different places to share the message of the gospel. What's the gospel? Christ died for your sins, just like scripture prophesied that he would he was buried he rose from the dead just like scripture prophesied that he would and when you trust in what Jesus has done for you it changes everything but they immediately begin to find out that some people received the gospel and Jewish people came to Christ and Gentile believers were coming to Christ but others rejected the gospel how could they but they did And so that's where Paul teaches us that sometimes when that happens, you just have to shake the dust off of your feet and move on. In Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey, they had something that was especially unusual that took place in a city called Lystra. Paul had healed a man crippled from birth. And the Bible tells us that the people of Lystra saw what had happened, and they thought they were gods. And so they began to call Barnabas Zeus, and they began to call Paul Hermes. And, and Paul and Barnabas said, no, 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 we're not gods. We're just men like you. And guess what? These people that in one minute were calling them gods, the next minute said, well, then we don't like you. We don't want you around here. And in the midst of all this, these Jews show up from a 100 miles away, a place called Iconium. They've chased them down, and they stone Paul and throw him outside the city left for dead. Every time I read something like that in Scripture, I'm reminded that all of us have people in our life that just won't let it go, right? They just keep hanging on. But Paul got up. And he continued to live out his faith. And it's in that setting that we learned this important lesson. When life beats you down, by God's grace and with his help, you've got to get up and you've got to go back after it. And some of you've come in today and and you're beat up and you're beat down and you don't know if you can make it. I just want to encourage you. When life's got you there, when you've been beat down, get up! Get up! Get back after it for the glory of God. And so that's what Paul and Barnabas did. And they went back to their home church, their sending church. Look at verse 27 of chapter 14. It says that when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This was the mission trip report setting. So Paul and Barnabas go back to their home church and they say, hey, listen to what God has done. by the way, right here, we see something very important that is repeated throughout the New Testament. You need a home church. You need a place that you plug into, a a place that is your home in your family of faith. There's not really such a thing as a Lone Ranger Christian, a, a person that's out there on their own. And while we spend most of our lives outside of walls like these, most of the time, most of this week, you've been the church scattered. Wherever you were, you were still the church, but you were there. We are fueled, we are sustained, we are invigorated in our faith when we become the church gathered. So Paul and Barnabas are back with their church. But even as the church gathers... She faces problems. Right? That's where that conflict comes in. In our homes, in our workplaces, God forbid, in our churches. See, we have an enemy. You've only got one enemy. You think those people that you don't like are your enemy. They're not your enemy. You've got one enemy, but he's a doozy, he has a job. His job is to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's roaming to and fro the earth, the Bible says, seeking whom he may devour. He's after you. And he's after your mama. This is The devil, Satan, the father of lies. That's our enemy. And sometimes in our life, he'll try to distract us with external circumstances. But if that doesn't work, He'll try to divide us, and he often does that with internal conflict in our homes, in our churches, wherever he can. And that's what began to happen right in the midst of this season while Paul and Barnabas are reporting on their missionary journey. That's what Peter is speaking to In Acts 15 and verse 10. I I read this this week in a paraphrase of the scripture. It's called The Message. Listen to what it says. So why are you now trying to out God God? Loading these new believers down with rules that crushed our ancestors and crushed us too. Hey, last week we learned there is a God, but you're not God. This week we're going to learn that even though we know we're not God, sometimes we try to out God God. We try to pick up the reins and control the situation, acting as if we're in charge. Moment of truth. Any of you here ever guilty of outgodding God? I, I try that sometimes. Peter is addressing what you're going to see as a conflict in the church. And I think he tells us something that will help all of us in our life. Usually when we find ourselves in the midst of a conflict, it's because we or someone else has tried to out God, God. And it never works. (laughs) Because you're not God and you can't out God, God. So let's see what made Peter say that. In Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse one. But some men came down from Judea They were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, that'll throw a damper on a missionary report time. Paul and Barnabas are before the church and they're telling everything that God's done. Jews have gotten saved. Gentiles have gotten saved. Someone was healed. Paul and Barnabas tells this crazy story. And for a moment, they thought we were God and we had to tell them, no, we're not. And then I was stalled and left for dead. But people prayed and I got up and we got back after it. And now we're here. And in the midst of that, some guys come in and they say, hey, you know what? What you're teaching is not true. Those people aren't saved. They couldn't be saved not unless they're circumcised. I don't want to go into detail on a Sunday morning, but what he's describing is a God-set-up, Jewish covenantal ritual that took place on the human male. And these guys were saying, eh, you can't have a relationship with God unless you've experienced that physical ritual. And, And what's taking place here illustrates a problem that has been out there in the Christian faith for a long time. It deals with a question that we've got to answer. A question that separates everyone around us. Those that know God and those that don't know God. Here's the question.
1: What must a person do to be saved? If you've just joined us, You're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
0: What must a person do to be saved. Do you know the answer to that question? What do you think it is? We well, have to be Baptist or Catholic or Methodist, Episcopal or Lutheran or Assembly of God, Presbyterian, non-denominational. Is that what you have to do? Oh, no, no. You have to raise your hand and pray a prayer. Or no, you had to walk down an aisle or be dunked in a tank of water. Or you've got to go to church class or First Communion or Confirmation. Is that, is that what you have to do? You have to live a good life. I've asked that question around the world many times. If you were standing before God today and he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And almost always I get this answer, some version of it. Well, I've lived a pretty good life. I'm a relatively moral person. I make ethical choices. And if God were to look at the good and bad, I think the good would outweigh the bad. And he'd say, come on in. And much of creation thinks that's what it takes to be saved. But Christianity paints a different picture. In fact, Paul would go on to say in the book of Ephesians, in talking to the church at Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, a summary of what it means to be saved. He would say, For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one could boast. That's what it means to be saved. So when these guys show up and they begin to say to Paul and Barnabas at the church of Antioch of Syria, hey, these, goes, these folks you talked to, they weren't saved. You're not saved unless you've been circumcised. What do you think happened? Disagreement. Conflict. Big time. Look at verse 2 of chapter 15. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem, to the apostles, and to the elders about the question. So the church decided, hey, there's this big conflict. Let's resolve it. Let's not ignore it. Let's not pretend it's not there. Let's not just stay here and fight. Let's resolve the conflict. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, and the apostles, and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers... Some who? Remember that. Some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep the law of Moses. Here's the same conflict, the same division. But what I want you to see now is that it arose up among believers. You see, it's possible for those of us who call the name of Christ, those of us who have begun that relationship with Jesus, to become divided, and here we see our first truth division is unhealthy for any church. Division is not simply difference, right? We are all different, and in our church, that's one of the things we celebrate. It is a big deal around here. In Most Sundays that we gather, we have about 64 nations that gather to worship right here. There's a lot of diversity. Different is not bad. Different is just different. But division is bad. Why? Well, because we're created in the image of God, and God himself demonstrates unity. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Three in one. He's a God of unity. When Jesus knelt and prayed that high priestly prayer for you and me in John seventeen, the part of the prayer where he mentions us, and he does, generally, he says, Those will follow after us. That's me and you. When he mentions us, you know what he prays for? That we would be unified. That we would be one just as he and the father is one. Unity is not uniformity. We don't all have to look alike. It's not unanimity. We all don't have to agree on everything. But it's this attitude of unity. We're in non-essential things. We say we can disagree. We can have liberty. In essential things we say, hey, we've got to be on the same page here. That's what they're going to deal with today. And then in all things though, we deal in love. That's why this was such a big deal. These Jewish believers were challenging the very core of this new faith. A faith that in Antioch would begin to be called Christianity. They were teaching that before you could become Christian, you had to first become Jewish. And throughout history, we've been guilty of doing that in our own ways. Oh yes, just as you are, you come but cut your hair and take out your ear piercings and wear the kind of clothes I'm wearing. Just as you are, you come, but only only if you're my kind of people. We don't really take your kind of people around here. See the tendency? The tendency is to to make our own rules and to add to what Jesus has told us to do. They were adding to something and that meant they were changing their doctrine. This division centered around doctrine and a church that is divided about its doctrine is deterred from developing disciples and that's what we're here to do. If we don't have a solid foundation, if, if we're not unified in these basics of our doctrine. Boy, we're going to get way off track. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands at this point, but some of us have been in churches that have gotten off track, right? They have sidetracked on the wrong things. They're have always been and there will always be people who try to add to the simplicity of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But hear this clearly today in case you've never heard it before. God loves you no matter who you are, no matter where you were born, no matter what you've done. Your sin separates you from that love of God and God hates that because God hates sin. So God went to an enormous Uh, He he did something out of our normal way of thinking uh, by sending his own son, God himself, to die on the cross, to take on the punishment for your sin and my sin so that we don't have to die so that we could experience that love of God. And all we have to do, as crazy as it sounds, as hard as it is for us to believe, all we have to do is say, all right, God, I believe you. I receive your forgiveness. My faith is in you alone. That's an open door. But in our flesh, it's hard to see how that makes sense. And so somebody put it this way. The gospel is always hindered by people with closed minds who stand in front of open doors and keep people from getting in. And that's what these Jewish background believers were trying to do. They were changing the gospel. Paul would refer to this in Galatians 1. He would call it a different gospel. He would say that they were preaching man's gospel. What were they doing? They were trying to stitch up the torn veil. Remember when the veil was torn in the temple? We talked about last week how the gospel is a dividing line, and that word that's used in Acts 14 to describe the division that's caused by the gospel is the same word that was used when the veil was split in the temple. Why was the veil split? It was God's way of demonstrating that through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, that old covenantal system was being replaced by a new covenant. God's shed blood on the cross of Jesus becomes the way to gain access to God. There's no separation. You don't need a priest or a pastor to go to God. You can go to Him directly because the veil has been torn. When you add to the gospel, you know what you're doing? You're stitching up the veil. You're saying, God, I I can't come to you. I've got to put something in your place. You're taking the work of the Master and saying, I think I can make that a little better. Because of our partnerships in France, I've been to the Louvre in Paris many times. Can you imagine me going into the Louvre and taking a paintbrush or taking a pen and going up to a Picasso or a a, a Monet or, or a Van Gogh and saying, I think I can make this a little better. I think they've just left something off. How absurd. Well, that's what we do when we add to the gospel. I'm so thankful they did not win the day. I'm so thankful this way of thinking did not gain the majority among the church. We would have been singing different hymns if it had. Amazing circumcision, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. (laughs) Or what about this one? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the law of Moses. I mean, crazy. Crazy. It was a big deal. and So the church gathered to resolve and redeem this conflict. And that's where we learn a second principle. Godly discussion is a healthy response to division. If godly people gather together, people who have been indwelt by his Holy Spirit, it's hard to think that if we come together seeking to resolve something, we can't resolve it. Look at verse six. The apostles and the elders were gathered to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up, surprising absolutely no one that was present. Because Peter is the guy that always had something to say, right? By the way, here he gets it right. What I'm about to read is Peter explaining how the gospel was offered to the Gentiles, not just to the Jewish people that they didn't have to be circumcised, that they didn't have to follow the laws of Moses. But interesting, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul's going to confront Peter because he didn't always get it right.
1: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, You're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at MissionHillChurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to MissionHillChurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at MissionHillChurch.com. And join us next Sunday at noon for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.